I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Podcast. Brandon Day and Ashley McLennan with you tonight after a split doubleheader for the Tigers. Ashley, how we doing? Yeah, well, you know, uh, I could go with games that aren't 19 and nothing. That would be pretty rad. Or 19, my God, man, that's been a bad couple of days. Um, but, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, this is sort of what I expected. And, like, we had a brief reprieve over the last week or two where it was really enjoyable Tiger baseball. And now, you know... It balanced itself out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We kind of got to like a like a high water mark. Unfortunately, it seems like right before that series with the Twins, um, losing that doubleheader kind of hurt. And then I think only won one game in that series, and then split with the Brewers and split with the Cardinals, which is okay. But we really did need to uh, probably gain a game there because now we've got the White Sox for three on the road, and that's. Mm, likely to be ugly <laughs> based on the way things have been going. Yeah, if history has taught us anything this season, that's not going to be uh, not going to be great. Yeah, and the White Sox are kind of kind of starting to look a little bit juggernaut-ish, unfortunately. So, yeah, I don't know, you know, I don't they they're not, certainly not out of it. Like it's not it's not over. Um and I wouldn't say it was over, but um yeah, I think the the hope anyway is is pretty much fading and we're back into just like, well, you know, hopefully some of these guys play good and we have some fun games over the <laughs> the next couple weeks. And the thing, too, that I mean, at least from my perspective of it is, is like, yes, it would be very cool and very fun to see the Tigers make the postseason after having one of the worst seasons in the history of the club. That would be awesome. I mean, yeah, it would two, be very two similar. of them. <laughs> yeah, two yeah. of them back to back. <laughs> and it would be very similar to like the Twins story where they came back and they had, you know, their, their wild card game against the Yankees. And I was like, what is happening here? But I think at the end of the day, we're all pretty well aware enough of how this team looks to know that even if they made it to the postseason, they wouldn't be getting very far, even in three game sets. So, yeah, it, it would have been really cool. But I think the part of me that has to like go back to every day, Peter from our our, um, our team um, loves giving us the numbers of how far back we are from another one number one draft pick. Uh, <laughs> and I don't think we're going to get there. I think the Tigers are good enough to not be that bad. Uh, and there are teams that are significantly worse. But um, it, it I, at this point, I know we're not going to get into the postseason or if we do, we're not going to get very far. Um, I, I'd rather, you know, continue to build up what we've got and then maybe get a halfway decent uh, first round pick. Yeah, I mean, it's too late to tank, but yeah, at this point, it is kind of like, it, it would probably be best if they just went decisively in one direction or the other, and yeah, and it, seemingly down is, is the, the, yes. the more uh, the more open, available direction to us at this point, so yeah, you know, they'll probably just kind of hang in there. Like, it's been weird, because they are they are scrappy, but then they also, you know, and they've won some games, and 
you know, we all kind of buried them a little bit when they lost, what was it, nine in a row back in mid-August, and it was kind of looking like, oh, this is over. And then they kind of fought back, yep. and now they're, yeah, they're kind of kind of fading back a little bit again. But yeah, the, games like the last couple of days have really kind of, like, made it clear that, you know, this is a team that's kind of getting by, you know, with, with some clutch hitting and some surprise performances, maybe some unfamiliarity for, for pitchers with some of the young hitters we've got up. Um, they've just been kind of piecing together some wins, but yeah, it's, um, when you lose 19-0 and then you come out, you know, today, Tarek Skubal struggled and we got blown out again in game one, was it 12 to two? 12 to two. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty rough, but then they fought back tonight. Um, and that was cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. Like pulled it out in the, not the, not the ninth inning, but the seventh inning and, um, got things started with a little, little rally from little Sergio Alcantara drawing a walk and. You know, then you get Victor Reyes, Scope, Miggy, and some of these guys up, and then they they did us a favor probably by walking Miguel Cabrera to load the bases and putting everything in the hands of Jamer Candelario with no outs, which is like best case scenario for us right now. Um, Jamer Candelario, before we kind of go in and like talk too much about a whole bunch of different players, but kind of seems like Jamer's legit. You know, like he's been through the struggles. It's not just like a hot start, you know, for a rookie or a young guy or something like that. He's uh, He's been in the wilderness for a year and a half and seems like he's he's really put it together um, and just keeps just keeps hitting. Yeah, he's kind of been exactly what the Tigers wanted him to be about two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm not mad that he's finding it now because if he can keep it up next year, then all the better. Um, and he's yeah, been just really enjoyable to to watch for the last little bit. Um, he, he just looks really good. He looks really natural and um, relaxed out there at the plate, which is a really nice thing to see. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like maybe, you know, he was too patient over the last year or so. Like, it seemed like, you know, pitchers were in his head a little bit, and he started being a little bit more aggressive this year and just hunting his pitch and sort of not being defensive as much. And, yeah, it really seems to have paid off. But it is kind of crazy because three weeks into the season, like, I mean, everybody was just calling for, you know, him to be DFA'd, like, this is over, you know, we're in year three of him just being terrible, et cetera, et cetera. So, He's uh he's really flipped the switch and yeah I mean he's been um, he's on like a four war pace um, per Fangraphs war he's got a what one sixty WRC plus going I think right now nice where's that at um yeah yeah yep one sixty man that's crazy one sixty two even when was the last time we had a player on the Tigers that much over a hundred yeah it's Nick. No, Nick never and got that Nick high. Nick wasn't even like he was like maybe like a one oh nine. I think Nick had a, a one forty. Yeah, one thirty. I know for sure one year somewhere in there. But yeah, it might be back to might be back to Miggy or um, I don't know maybe JD in twenty fourteen something something along those lines. But yeah, it's been a while since anybody put up numbers that good. I mean, obviously it's only kind of six weeks or something. But uh, yeah, it's been uh, been pretty dang impressive and he just kind of keeps going and he had to switch position in the middle of all this um, he's probably the team's best third baseman um, I, I don't think there's too much question about that and like he went over to first base and it was a little bit ugly at first but he seems to have settled in just fine over there even though some of the the young tiger infielders have been uh, testing him with with quite a few wild throws but um but even over at first base i got his numbers up here somewhere let's see what's he at yeah he's at a zero defensive run saved Slightly below average UZR. So, yeah, so those early struggles have have seemed to have kind of evaporated. Probably still best to move him back over to third base and just sign, you know, a CJ Crone or someone like that again for next year. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was never meant to play that position, and he's he's held it up you know, remarkably well, but you definitely want somebody to take it over full-time next year. Yeah, it should be easier to find a, a first baseman who can hit you 30 bombs than, than a third baseman, probably. Probably. Yes. <laughs> so... So yeah, maybe that will still work out if um, if CJ Crone's knee surgery went well and everything, and he's okay. Um, you know, I would uh, not be at all opposed to bringing him back. But but just talking about Jamer kind of brings this to mind, which is just that how hard it's going to be to tell like what was real and what was a mirage this season because it was so short. Um, you had a lot of hitters who seemed like they were really behind the curve when the season started, and maybe the the pitchers were ahead, and now it's kind of catching up. Some of the Tigers relievers were looking pretty good early. And um, since, you know, the hitters have kind of gotten up to speed, it's been a little bit more apparent that we're probably really down to like three, maybe four guys in the bullpen and not the six or seven or eight who were doing well early on. So, yeah, I don't we know. We had such it's big dreams at the beginning of the season, Brandon. I thought we actually had a good bullpen. Yep. And I mean, you know, by Tiger standards, I guess we still do, you know, <laughs> like just to have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just to have Jose Cisnero and Gregory Soto and Brian Garcia all you know, pitching like good relievers, like nobody's, you know, broken out into like, okay, dominant super reliever territory, but all three of them have been pretty good. Some other guys have have kind of contributed. Buck seems like he's still kind of banged up maybe from the groin strain and just hasn't had his velocity and stuff, but um, he'll be back next year and you feel reasonably okay that Buck Farmer will still be productive. Um, But that brings us to uh, the guy who's not productive and who has basically completely melted down this year, um, which is uh, Joe Jimenez. And I don't know, it's not, it's really looking bad. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Joe has never really taken that step to where it was like, yeah, he's, he's a rock solid closer now. And he's, he's our guy. He kind of got the job by default. Um, The Tigers may have Bruce Rondone him a little bit by talking him up as like the new closer almost from the minute he got here. But, um, but yeah, we've just seen his velocity keeps declining. The command has, has gotten worse. And every time he gets out there, um, he's given up a home run. He just, he can't help himself anymore. It's, it's just home run central out there. Yeah. It's definitely not the same guy we were seeing in the world baseball classic a few years ago. That's for sure. Yep. Yeah. That really, uh, that looked like that. And maybe the, the year after that was sort of the peak. Um, and some guys do peak early. Um, so maybe that's what it is, but Man, the Tigers have had no luck, like you know, fixing him or or helping him seemingly in any way. I mean, he's he's just looking awful. So, and I mean, that maybe is the problem, like you said, of really assigning him to that closer role so early on. Like he was really meant to be the closer from the get go. Like there was no other real position they seemed to have him slated for, and I, I think maybe that's really what hurt him because if you could maybe have like had him in there as a seventh, eighth inning guy just to hold things over and developed him a little differently. And yeah, I think we could have had a slightly different story at this point. Yeah. I mean, they tried him and it didn't really work. And then Shane Green kind of came to the fore and and took the job over and was good. So, you know, he he kind of got put on the back burner, but it also, you know, there's also just the fact that his stuff has declined. You know, the, the guy who, you know, was throwing 97, 98 in the minor leagues is now like 93, 94 most of the time. And he's still got a good riding fastball. Like it still has good movement. And when he's actually throwing well, he still gets pretty decent amount of swings and misses on it. But yeah, he's just not fooling people um, and, and doesn't have the slider too often, the command, like his body language, like his confidence, like it's just a, it's kind of a disaster there. So I don't know, I guess there's nothing to do but kind of reboot him this offseason and hope he can come out and, 
you know, find a little bit of that velocity and maybe turn some things around. But I just wonder if there's any any coaching that is going on that that has gotten through to him because it just looks like the same thing over and over now for for a couple of years and hasn't really been able to to take any kind of a step forward, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know really what's going to come of that. Yep, and it kind of you know they did the right thing by getting him out of there, but there's also just been. The, the confusion of like whose role you know is what and what what are the tigers actually trying to do this year like they're playing you know there's there's a lot of like playing guys out of position um you know which you know if you're if you're trying to develop guys like it's fine to just fit people in wherever you can so that they you know get ab's and stuff but when you have Sergio Alcantara in the lineup and he's playing third baseman even though he's you know pretty easily your best shortstop that that's that's available to you defensively um and Willie Castro's playing shortstop even though he's not good at it still because they they want him to be so they're kind of forcing it there and Jamer's at, at first now instead of at third because you want to get Paredes in there as much as possible even though he's been been struggling and then yeah I don't know the whole thing is just you know it's just been kind of odd it's like do you do you go all in for what is the best you know for the for the team in the moment or do you keep trying to to get guys in there and get them their work and it seems like they've they haven't really made a decision, sort of. They're just kind of like splitting the difference a little bit there um, with, with who they, they fit in. And obviously we've had enough, a few injuries that have kind of just like forced their hand to just sort of do what, whatever they had to do in the moment. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's just been kind of chaotic. Like the way the, the bullpen is getting used is, has been odd at times. You know, like Joe Jimenez gets demoted and he's been terrible, but then you're bringing him into tie games and... And then using your best relievers in a in games where you have like a six run lead and then an eight run lead and then you you burn the whole back end of the bullpen to to hang on. I don't I don't know. It's, it's I don't know. I won't be sorry when this coaching staff is gone. That's all. <laughs> I'll just leave <laughs> no, it, I'll I leave know. it at that. It's yeah. I I won't miss Rick Anderson. That's for sure. Yep. I still lo- you know still love Gardy. Um, you know, great personality, lovely guy. Seems to. Uh, seems to have the support of his players and I'm sure they all love him and, and want to play hard for him and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I don't know. It just doesn't, uh, doesn't seem to be working. No, I mean like we've talked about this though. And I, I think Gardy's done the job that he needed to do up until this point. And I think that job was to get them through the roughest part of the rebuild and to, to kind of navigate through those really hard waters before guys like Scooble, like Mize were ready to come up and now I think you just need a, a fresher perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that is probably true. Um, you know, and I, I guess the, you know, the thing that they should have been doing the past two years that unfortunately just hasn't really come out is that they just haven't really developed too many guys still. There just still hasn't been um, that many guys have improved. Obviously Victor Reyes has improved um, and Jamer kind of figured it out this year, but even when guys figure it out, it always seems to come from like some other source. <laughs> Than the Tigers, it's like you know? something they're doing or something that they're picking up from someone else. Like, yeah, Jamer, <laughs> you know, worked with Robinson Cano all off season because, you know, they've been, you know, friends. And I think Cano and Jamer's dad, who is a, a hitting coach, have known each other for forever. So, you know, I mean, when you can go work with Robbie Cano, that that makes good sense. But it's never just never seems to really come from the Tigers. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, it's because they're just they're very set in the blueprint that they have in mind for how to develop. You know, it's, it's it's the Tigers way or the highway. And I think that there needs to be some reassessment as to what the Tigers way is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is correct. I mean, you know, I don't want to just compare to 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 the top teams. Like, you know, obviously we'd like the Tigers to become one of the top organizations in the game, but it can it can be a little much to just expect them to be the Dodgers 
um, necessarily. But yeah, you know, like the Cardinals are another good example where they, you know, they, they haven't really won anything in a while, but they just keep like developing useful players that they can, you know, trade or, or piece together their roster with. And yeah, the Tigers just don't, just don't seem to get those guys very often. Um, you know, there just aren't that many guys that pop up out of the, out of the farm system and emerge sort of fully formed as good players. And yet we, yeah, we can't help but see a lot of other teams do it, you know, with, substantial regularity um including the you know the Tampa Bay Rays um mm-hmm. the Astros to some degree there's you know there's there's a lot of teams you could kind of tick off and obviously Cleveland has made some mistakes as far as their offense has gone but you know they man they just keep developing great pitchers out of nowhere and these guys don't don't come up looking like Casey Mize and Tark Scooble did where they're you know trying to figure it out um they, they seem to bring up a new starting pitcher every year who gives them like 180 innings you know with like a you know a low three zra at worst um they they find a guy like that every every single year so it's not not good enough to just keep up with them we uh have a long way to go to catch them and yeah it still feels like other teams are uh are the ones producing more talent than we are but i don't know we may uh we may have a little something here in willie willie castro um his peripheral numbers kind of you know beg for decline but you got to look at him and just say the kid just keeps hitting the ball hard um so at least that's a positive sign he wasn't really tabbed as as a power hitter or or even someone who would come up and, and necessarily be a particularly good shortstop um or hitter he's just kind of a guy that you you know was talented and you might be able to develop and so far so good on the um on the hitting side of things um unfortunately you know at two years in i'm getting Kristen stewart vibes where the tigers keep telling us you know like oh you know he's getting way better you know the defense is really coming along it's coming it's coming <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh he seems to be coming and uh i haven't really seen it arrive so I don't know. It's uh, it's too early to kind of you know be too critical of Willie Castro one way or the other because we haven't really seen him a whole lot. Um, I'm not really ready to reevaluate my entire opinion on him as a minor league player just based on you know whatever it is 70, 70 plate appearances about. I think he's got so far, but yeah, at least he's he's been kind of impressive and chipped in. You mean um, I can't get excited about Sergio Alcantara after eight plate appearances? Yeah. Yeah, you should go buy your jersey. You know, kind of. I kind of. I'm feeling it. I like. I from somebody I expected zero from. Um, he kind of came in swinging, legitimately, like pun intended. I guess is the way <laughs> really is how he introduced himself. So, um, I mean, it's very easy to get hyped very early because we know how much I love Jake, um, and will forever. But um, I don't know. I'm not mad about it. Yeah. Yep. He's, um, the thing I, you know, I, I was talking with Emily Walden about him the other day and I was just joking with her that, Hey, he finally, finally ate those sandwiches. Cause we, we've always talked about him as like, you know, he's a really good defensive shortstop and he can put the bat in the ball and he has some plate discipline, but he just had no power. You know, he's just a little, just a little guy with, um, skinny little arms who was, you know, when we first got him, who was just kind of slapping balls around. Uh, but he looks like he's, yeah, he's, he's added some muscle this year and, you know, showed a little bit more pop. So maybe there's a, there's a little bit of, of light at the tunnel there for him too. Maybe there's a chance that he could be kind of the, a role player or a utility um, player who you kind of lean on for his glove, something along those lines. I was kind of, kind of shocked that the Tigers didn't pitch him yesterday and use Travis Demerit instead because Sergio Alcantara might have the best arm of any non-pitcher on the team. Um, almost certainly does. I would have liked to have seen that. But that's how it goes. I always wanted to see Jose Iglesias get a chance to pitch just because I thought he'd be like totally ridiculous. And, oh my uh, God, that would have been amazing. Yeah, he would have been trying to throw knuckleballs and like all kinds of weird, you know, sidearm pitches and quick pitches and, you know, like transferring it out of his glove super fast and throwing it. Like who knows what he would have tried to do. I, I would have liked to have seen that. But 
yet we didn't get Sergio Alcantara. We got Travis Merritt having to go out there and uh, take one for the team. And, you know, nobody cares. It's just, uh, it's it just went, fun it when went, a position player went. pitches. Yeah, yeah. When a position <laughs> player pitches, it's it. just fun. Yep. I will never, ever get sick of position players pitching. It's one of my favorite things in baseball. It's funny, too, because it comes, you know, it, it can't happen unless there's been just some absolutely god-awful stuff to precede it. So when it finally does happen, it's like a relief that you can just, like, have this, like, goof, it's like, oh, goofy it's something thing. I could be happy about. Yeah. Something I could look forward to. Or you can hope that it's something terrible that's happened to the other team. Yeah. And be like, oh, I'm so sorry about that. Now you've got, like, you know, Joe Joe Redneck <laughs> pitching, and it's going to go real poorly for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, you, you dream. Yeah, exactly. You know, like Grayson Griner is going to come up and hit, you know, two home runs off these guys or whatever, you know. Yeah. Take advantage <laughs> and just start bombing on them. Yep. Uh, that's always kind of kind of funny. So there's that's kind of where we are. And um, if we look ahead a little bit, it's basically all AL Central the rest of the way. And we play, I think, six yeah, six games with the Royals. So there's kind of there the opportunity. Um, you know, we're going to be home against the Royals and then the Indians and then go out to Minnesota and then finish the season in Kansas City. So if they could just hang on against the White Sox and manage to somehow win two games in that series, I won't write them off yet. I'll still say that maybe there's an outside chance. But, um, yeah, it's tough because we're not just chasing the Yankees. Um, the Orioles are a half game ahead of us, too. Um, it's kind of hard to expect both of those teams to lose their way into us getting into the, the postseason at, at this point. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, how about this as a, as a mark? The Tigers probably have to win 10. They have to go 10 and 5 the rest of the way, I would bet, to make it. No, that sounds that sounds like a legit breakdown, which I think is going to be not an easy task. Yeah. Not an impossible one, yeah. uh, per se, but... Um, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. I think the next series will be really telling because if they can't come out of the next series without at least a win, if not two, I, I think we're, we're done. Yeah. I kind of felt like we had to win two against the Brewers and at least one today because yeah, going in to face the White Sox, like when you're still losing ground, just, just seems like kind of, kind of the death knell, but, um, but yeah, mathematically we are, we are certainly not eliminated. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. And yeah, it's all AL Central team. So everybody, you know, everybody knows each other. Everybody's familiar. Um, the Tigers haven't gotten wrecked by, by any of these teams in particular so far this year. So, but we are learning an awful lot about small sample sizes in this season. <laughs> No, it's so ridiculous. I know. It just feels I mean, like such a compressed like roller coaster. A, yeah, it, it feels like everything about every team right now is is a shining example of small sample size. I mean, with the exception, I think, of even looking at the Dodgers, who are having exactly the same kind of season they've had the last two or three years. Yep. Um, everything just feels like it's anybody's game. It's, yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, the teams that we kind of thought, I mean, you know, the Padres have been have been very good. They're going to be in it. They should be interesting. The Braves will be in it. Um, shout out to the Braves for crushing the Marlins 29-9 oh yesterday and, and kind of uh, overtaking the 19-0 to, to loss in the media and saving, uh, saving the Tigers some national news on that front, probably. Oh, no kidding. But I think it did make, a, I think it was a record in that it was the most, oh gosh, it was one of the most big the most oh my god how do words work mm-hmm. um it was one of the biggest days for a run differential yeah yeah um all right i learned how to make words happen you got it. um you i know, think like... one of the top five days 
for those because of the games with the biggest gaps in them. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, the Pythag just got destroyed yesterday. Yep, but run differential. Like, the Tigers' run differential was almost, like, in line with their win total three days ago, and now I think they're, like, a negative 42 runs again. <laughs> they actually were looking like, oh, yeah, this is almost, a, you know, this should be a 500 team. You know, that this is fairly legit as far as the run differential, you know, is concerned. But, uh, yeah, that got blown up pretty good, pretty pretty uh, authoritatively. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, if I go back all the way to March and think, what, where did I think the team might have some strength? I would have said that that I thought the rotation might be a point where they would actually be okay and then have more help coming along, um, you know, with Mize and Scooble, Manning, whoever else, as the season progressed. But as it's turned out, that's uh, that's just been where the Tigers have just not been able to find any any consistent help. Like even Spencer Turnbull, who started out pitching well, had a good outing uh, yesterday, but in general, um, you, you just have no idea what's going to happen when he goes out there. He might walk five guys in an inning. Um, he might just just ground ball everybody to death and and be kind of untouchable. But um, unfortunately, like none of these guys have really established themselves in a way that tells you, like, yeah, we can kind of depend on you know this kind of production next year. Um, they definitely haven't been able to depend on them this year. But uh, looking forward, like you know Matt Boyd. Um, you know, kind of put it together for a couple starts and was like, okay, this seems more like Matt Boyd. Like, we're going to get some good starts and some bad starts, and that's that's kind of who he is. But, yeah, just got just melted down again yesterday. Um, and it's, you know, Matt Boyd is a very, you know, seemingly mentally resilient pitcher who's, you know, was never thought to be much and has kind of fought back a couple different times from looking like, ah, I don't know if this guy's really a major league starter. And then had his huge breakout for a little bit early last year, the mock breakout that uh, that unfortunately has, is pretty far distant in the past now. But yeah, I mean, the Tigers have some problems this offseason as far as um, not just, you know, they could use obviously um, several bats if they want to come back and, and try to at least be relevant next year. But I'm not so sure what we have on the starting pitching docket anymore either. Yeah, it's hard to say. And I mean, I I feel like we've talked about this too, where I'm, I'm, I don't know that we're fully past the point where we could trade some of these guys um like I still feel like there's teams out there like you know like maybe the angels who would look at a Matt Boyd and be like well you know he's been inconsistent but we still might be able to do something with that um but like what the, yeah. the return that we would have gotten two years ago is, is not is not there yeah yeah we're kind of at the point where you have to let you know have to let them play out and hope you know Matt Boyd and Michael Fulmer are still here for two more full seasons after this one. So there, there is time left, but um, yeah, I don't know for either one of them to, to rebuild much trade value by next July when, when you would probably hope to like have your last chance at really optimizing what they might be worth is um, it's going to be tough. And I'm not sure. Yeah. How convinced teams are going to be by Matt Boyd because Matt Boyd still isn't walking very many people. He's still striking out tons of guys, like, you know, top 25, as, you know, as far as starters go in strikeouts. But he just gets hit so hard um, sometimes that it's, you know, it looks like they know what, what's what's coming. Um, I've written about this before. And who was it? Max Goldstein, um, who who is worth a follow to people on Twitter, pointed oh, yeah. this out a couple weeks ago, um, you know, just about Jamer's separation release points basically like his 
his slider and his fastball release point are diverged to a degree that m- very few starting pitchers in the in the game are. There are guys like Rich Hill who will like do the thing where they like really drop down sidearm for s- certain pitches and then go back to their normal arm slot. But Matt Boyd isn't doing that, and it just seems like there are days when he, you know, they they just absolutely can see what's coming. Um, and that's you know that may be something he has to address this off season. Because he obviously works on his pitches, and he obviously like has all the pitch design theory, knows how to use the the equipment, knows you know nobody knows what he's trying to make each pitch look like. But the interaction between the pitches um, seems to be where where most of the flaw is. And yeah, that, maybe that is all just tied back to his release point. But he's really gonna have to go back to the drawing board um, this off season because he's gonna be he's gonna be thirty next year. So. He's kind of getting to the point where it's like if you're going to take any kind of a next step and really become like a dependable mid-rotation guy that, that other teams are going to trust, it kind of has to happen now. Although you never know, but um, but at least in the Tiger, from the Tigers' perspective, it kind of does need to need to happen real quick. Soon, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. That's my, that's my full thought process on it is, um, yeah. Oh God, I'm going to get good feedback on that. But, um, I mean, you've said it all. Like I, I, there's nothing I can add to it except that he is a smart guy and he is the kind of pitcher that I don't think relies wholly on what the staff of his club has told him. Like he goes out there and he does driveline and he does training and he learns from others. And frankly, as much as it pains me to say it, I feel like Matt Boyd should send the off season hanging out with Trevor Bauer. Um, <laughs> he, and pro- he probably will. I mean, I think they do hang out when pointers. they're out there. Yeah. Yeah. But, yep. Trevor Bauer had a, had a down year trying some things um, and then has come back and uh, is once again, one of the better starting pitchers in the game. He was dominant to start the year. I haven't checked his numbers lately, but like he, he self teaches and he self corrects. And I think that for a guy like Matt Boyd, who does the same thing, that there might be something to that. Yeah. And obviously, you know, Matt Boyd goes to driveline in the offseason, and so does Trevor Bauer. So they, they probably have run into each other and, and done some work. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, Matt Boyd was kind of the Pied Piper for, you know, getting Daniel Norris to go out there. Tarek Skubal, um, I believe, went out there last offseason to work with Matt Boyd a little bit. I mean, Matt Boyd still does a lot of, like, the mentoring, leadershipy sort of things, but obviously that isn't good enough, <laughs> good enough if you're not pitching well, so... Yeah. And then that brings us to, uh, yeah, Spencer Turnbull, who I just don't, you know, there's nothing to do but just run him out there next year and see what happens. But I'm still, Spencer Turnbull has always, and I'm sure I've said this before, it just struck me as like a hot potato guy. He's like a guy that as soon as, you know, you get like a, a long enough good streak out of him to, to where his value is, is built up, you probably should see what you can get for him because I, it's just hard to trust it. You just never know when it's going to come unglued. Um you know, I don't want to say he's like a head case necessarily, but man, he, he really is an enigma. Like, it's just hard to know why he goes so bad when his, you know, his stuff is so good. Like his fastball, he can just pump fastballs in the zone and just mix four seamers and two seamers. And he rarely ever seems to get hit very hard. But um, but it, it tends to tends to be him doing it to himself by, you know, via the walk. So I don't I don't know. I don't know what to expect there either, but. Obviously, those are the two guys that you could pencil in for sure next year. Um, and then you have, you know, the two guys who've been doing middle relief here in Daniel Norris and Tyler Alexander. And I don't really know how the team is viewing either of them because both of them probably have a decent case that one of them should be starting um, right now. And that hasn't happened. Um, even today, you know, they decided to go with, with Jordan Zimmerman because he came back and, I, you know, maybe they just wanted to give him one last start before his, you know, his career and at least his, his time with the Tigers ends. But um, I'm not really sure. 
because we haven't gotten a look enough at those guys, I'm not really sure what we have there. And that is another kind of example of where, you know, expediency in the moment versus, you know, learning what you would need to know for next year have, have kind of been at cross purposes. Cause that, you know, is, has Daniel, Daniel Norris has been, has pitched really well this year, but is this where he should be? You know, should he be like a three inning type guy where, you know, he's just a muscle car and you drag him out and he just goes, goes full bore for three innings and then you sit him down. Um, or, you know, should he be getting Fulmer starts and Michael Fulmer should be, you know, just coming in to try to pitch an inning or two in relief of, of him. I, I just don't really know. It kind of feels like maybe this is, this is where Daniel Norris is, is, you want to get like six and six and two thirds innings out of them or something. You're not going to get what you want right now out of either of them. Yeah. Uh, so I think that really getting the most out of those guys is going to require some sort of outside the box thinking. Yeah. I mean, obviously this year they, you know, a little bit like last year, they were sort of forced to do this and you don't really know. Yeah. Is this something that they actually like and think is, you know, the, the way to proceed going forward or is this just, well, we're just doing what we have to do to get by, and then they would like to just, you know, put Fulmer and Norris both in the starting rotation next year and just see what happens. I, I, it's just hard to, hard to decide. And Michael Fulmer right now doesn't look like he's going to be capable of, of starting next year or, or necessarily even pitching in the major leagues. But, yeah, we would definitely caution everybody that coming back from Tommy John surgery, like, this is what it looks like a lot of the time. Um, his mechanics have changed, and I don't really – you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in depth sometime in the off season, or maybe I'll write something something about it with some uh, video clips. But I mean, he's had to make a lot of adjustments to take pressure off of his knee, and he's also coming back from Tommy John surgery. And so, yep. you know, you just don't really know if he's going to be able to get back to, you know, any kind of a, a starting role because it's not just his velocity is down; like the the life and the way he attacks hitters is all off because he knows he can't trust his stuff. And yeah, it's it's just really hard to say. And probably we should. You know, just just chalk Michael Fulmer up to he needed the innings, and we'll see you know how he looks next spring, and that's probably all that you can really say about it right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't think either of us expected much with him coming back, um, and we kind of got what we expected. Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid so. And obviously, he's frustrated, um, and hopefully, you know, he can he can kind of push through this and be be better next year. Um, you know, we had, there's a million examples, but just, you know, for a tiger example, we had Trevor Rosenthal last year, who was kind of in the same situation, like came back from Tommy John surgery, um, did get his velocity back, which Fulmer hasn't, hasn't gotten yet. But, but by the time we saw Trevor Rosenthal, he'd been pitching for four months and was still a complete wild man most of the time. So that's just how it goes. And now Trevor Rosenthal, because we didn't do this because we're dumb, um, the Kansas City Royals picked him up in the offseason and signed him to a short deal, and he was awesome for them as their closer for like a month, and then they flipped him for a, for a decent player. Nothing major. You know, they didn't get a whole lot for him, but, boy, it's, it's frustrating to see those opportunities go by. I was talking to Mark Garash, who I also do the, the podcast here with occasionally, and we were just kind of running through this list of pitchers that we'd wanted the Tigers to pick up the last few years who'd been sort of cast off, like Sonny Gray and Garrett mm-hmm. Richards and Kevin Gaussman, who was dominating for the Giants, and Dylan Bundy, who went to the Angels to a less home run friendly park than the than old Camden Yards where he used to uh, haunt the grounds there. And uh, ever since going to the Angels, he's been great. And it's just like, man, you know, we, we could, uh, we if they'd just been you know, rather than like being in full tank mode, had still like been on the lookout for, for some, you know, smart, smart bargains and guys that they could rehab and, and bring back. We, you know, we could have had one or two of those guys maybe and, um, and things would look different, but 
So I mean, it, yes, so it goes. No. I, I feel like I get what they were going with when they tried to pick up Nova and, you know, a couple of the moves they've made. And I guess part of it is you can try to get these guys and hope that there's something in them. Like, look at Mike Fires, right? Um, same kind of idea. You pick up a guy that's kind of floundering somewhere else and hope that something works out well. And it sure did there. Yep. Um, so, I mean, the gamble pays off, but sometimes it doesn't. So I, I feel like that's what they were aiming for with Nova. Um, but obviously it didn't work out quite as well as it did with some yeah. of those other examples. Yeah, it's just that they, you know, they kind of aim more for, you know, they just wanted someone who is who is durable, you know, like, and that's yeah. the thing about Nova, he's been durable and consistent, but there just isn't that much upside either, whereas, yeah, like the, you know, the guys I mentioned, like, you know, we were, we certainly weren't alone in, in liking them, you know, there were plenty of, um, you know, public analysts and, you know, fan graphs and everybody else, you know, like, yeah, you know, there's still... There's still some interest there if you could just get them out of the AL East and into a little more friendly park and maybe tweak their their pitch mix and stuff. So, yeah, you know, it's water under the bridge, but it is kind of frustrating that we, uh, we've seen a lot of opportunities go by like that. Obviously, some catchers as well that we haven't, uh, that we didn't, yeah. that didn't bite on. Well, that's our... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. That's our lament every year, so. Yep. You know, yep. We'll I kind of just hope they stick with Romine for another year, because I don't know if ever, anybody's quite ready yet. For the full-time gig. Yeah, they um, definitely don't think, uh, I mean, they definitely don't seem to think much of Jake Rogers at this point. Um, yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it's kind of a drag because, you know, he didn't really even get much of a look last year. And then they were like, yeah, we brought him up too early. But then you're just going to leave him in camp, you know, through this whole season. And he doesn't yeah. get to work with Romine. And meanwhile, Grayson Griner's sitting like, you know, 100 or something and isn't particularly good behind the plate. It's, you know, he's okay. Like, he's not killing but they it. love him. They seem to just lean on Griner, and I don't yeah. get it. Like, I don't get what the, 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 the gap is. Like, what's going on that we don't see that makes them want to go to Griner over Rogers? Like, this is the season to be testing guys out. You have a really reliable catcher who could be guiding these people yep. and you're just not using the advantage that you have. Like when did we switch from Rogers being clearly the candidate to lead as catcher of the future to Griner, who's never in my mind been the ideal person for that role. Yeah. And I think even that, like I think they have to know that Grayson Griner is not going to be ever be a starting catcher. Like they have to know that, which just makes the whole thing even more insane. Like there's just no, there's no track record that he would ever hit enough to be a, you know, a guy that you would, have catching 80 or 100 games per season and you know jake rogers well, obviously struggled have... but you know but he had a lot more track record of of some of the tools that in the minor leagues that generally yeah. transmit to hitting so well and even without the hitting like even just as a catcher because i'm always willing to forgive a bad bat yeah if they're a quality catcher and i don't I don't see that in griner i don't see him being the kind of guy that can really like calm down on an over overhyped overexcited pitcher who's you know missing the zone i don't see him as being the kind of guy who can reliably call a game mm -hmm. you know long term over the course of a season so i don't know what 
Like, yeah. I, I would I would absolutely forgive the bat if I could watch games with him and be like, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. And not to say that he's a bad catcher, but he's not. I mean, dare I make the comparison? He's not Alex Avila. Like, yeah, he's Avila not a backup was... catcher. He's more of like a. This is the guy that you keep in 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 you know Toledo and call up as your like your third guy up if needed. Yeah. yeah. Like he just he doesn't have any of the pieces that have made some of the previous catchers we've had, you know, be really effective. Although, granted, I've just been in misery watching James McCann be good with the White Sox. It's just <laughs> terrible. Yeah, watch him catch a no hitter this year, and I'm like, ugh. The whole thing was kind of crazy because I'm sure everybody out there thinks that everybody at Bless Your Boys hated you know hated James McCann, and that wasn't it at all. We just didn't want him to be the starter. We just thought they should keep him around as the backup, and then you know, sign someone who's a little better with the pitching staff as their, you know, their more primary guy. But they just decided to cut bait there. I I don't know, to save money? I, I don't really, it wasn't very much if, if they did. If they were just trying to save that two or three million um, or whatever he was making the first year arbitration, well, it, it's kind of a, you know, pretty That could have been move. him too. Like he could have been angling to really want to be a starter. And like, there could have just been a disconnect there where they're like, no, James. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, instead, we're just not going to get any catcher at all. <laughs> that was their strategy last year, yeah, for sure. Yeah, evidently. Yeah, I know. We don't need to revisit that because it is frustrating. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's hard to talk about, like, it's hard to break down, like, how good a catcher is behind the plate because there's still a lot of things that go on that they don't really have much data on. And so, you know, it comes down to people's eye tests and all that sort of thing. But, you know, there are some some things that we just know, which are that big catchers, you know, dudes who are 6'6 six, six behind the plate don't tend to be good receivers because they can't get calls very consistently at the bottom of the zone because, you know, the uh, the umpire just can't see. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. like a... It's kind of a long-standing thing, and Jason Kendall, um, former catcher, um, really, really renowned for his work behind the plate. He was kind of a, a Brad Osmus type catcher, and wrote a book called Throwback, I think it was. And he talked a lot about that and about how you know bigger catchers, you know, they not only do they block the umpire's view of the the lower part of the plate, but they also because they're tall and their you know their shoulders are starting from a higher place, they don't receive well at the bottom of the zone either because they have to sort of extend their arms down to catch those pitches and they tend to get deflected out of the zone. Whereas, you know, someone shorter and athletic like a Jake Rogers, um, to some degree, Romine can really get down there with the right, you know, elbow angle and glove angle to just snatch those pitches right and stop them right where they are, or, or even bring them up into the zone a little bit. Um, so I don't know, there, there's a lot of things that just kind of work against Grace and Griner. And yeah, I don't really, I don't really understand because, you know, it sounded like Jake Rogers did all the things they wanted him to do. Like he went to Doug Lotta last off season. Um, the Tigers new hitting coach, Joe Vavra seemed to be okay with that. It doesn't seem to be a thing where, you know, Jake Rogers went outside the organization to get help and they were mad about it. Um, didn't, didn't seem to be anything like that, but he was working on the very things that they want him to do, which is to keep the, you know, the bat on plane longer and try to make more contact and, and use the whole field a little bit more and kind of get rid of sort of the, um, you know, the drop in the right shoulder, Ian Kinsler style, you know, pull hitter sort of a thing, which he can't do to the to the level that an Ian Kinsler could. So he seemed to work on all the right things. And I don't know, maybe they're still working on it down there. But um, I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty disappointing. And, you know, the way a team talks about a player, you know, a lot of times is BS, but what they do with the player usually tells you what they think. And they don't seem to think very much about, about Jake Rogers. When they mentioned catchers at Toledo, they didn't even mention him by name. You know, they, they mentioned Eric Haas. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty depressing, unfortunately. 
Um, yeah, we did finally see one part of the Justin Verlander trade this week, which is uh, Daz Cameron finally uh, made his major league debut, which is cool. We've had had a few of those this year, which is nice. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not really going to worry too much about it because, um, and I would kind of point everybody toward this article, Cody Stavenhagen um, from The Athletic Detroit basically had like the whole rundown of um, Daz Cameron, you know, contracting COVID and, um, and, and really it sounded like a pretty, pretty nasty struggle with it and stuff. And he has really only been in camp, I think for a couple of weeks. Um, so you can't really expect him to hit, you know, it's, he, you know, he wasn't like a, you know, a, a real star hitting prospect anyway. Um, and under these circumstances, yeah, you know, I'm just glad he's healthy, <laughs> healthy. That's all, all that really matters. Um, you see him playing good defense out there, you know, he's fast. Um, he's a good defender. Um, I'm, I'm a little surprised they're not playing him in center field, but, um, no big deal. He, you know, Daz played a lot of right field last year as well because they were kind of mixing in some other guys in center field too. So that's okay. But um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, just to have him there is, is cool. But yeah, I mean, it sounded pretty bad and it kind of gave a little bit of insight into just what it looked like when, you know, when baseball came back and was trying to figure out how to deal with all these things. Cause it sounded yeah. like Daz got to, you know, he came in to Motor City Casino where all the, you know, the players were staying for sort of like the pre-summer camp quarantine where they'd all be, you know, sequestered. They'd all get their, you know, their two tests or whatever, and then they'd be, that would be sorted out. Well, he tested positive, so then they had to quarantine him in a different part of the hotel. Um, it sounded like he was there for a week to 10 days, um, feeling really sick, and then kind of, and then he came down with pneumonia um, and it, it was, yeah. you know, and like a lot of people around the country, obviously, you know, hundreds of thousands to, well, millions have, have, and around the world, obviously even more have gone through this where you can't get to your loved one. Um, so his parents are freaking out obviously. And then they had to, um, they had to, you know, send him to a hospital down in Detroit for, I think four or five days, um, uh, before he finally stabilized and they could let him go. And, and that was like mid July. So, and then he had to kind of wait a couple weeks to, to pass a, you know, a test and then finally got to Toledo. So yeah, I mean. We can't really expect him to do anything. Um, I'm kind of surprised some guys are playing as well as they are, considering how little time um, so many people have had to prepare. And obviously, we're seeing a lot of pitcher injuries. Um, we're seeing a lot of weird crooked numbers because teams are using, you know, AAA, re- you know, relievers and and even starters all over the place to sort of fill things out. Um, that's another angle on on this year that's going to be hard to unpack in the off season as far as what are these guys going to do next year? Because I mean, the the quality of pitching has probably not been um, at its highest this year as compared to years past. <laughs> no, no, that's a, that's a very polite phrasing. <laughs> yep. Yep. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be weird. It's going to be a hard season to, to analyze this off season and look back on and see like what, what was really real and what wasn't like even Victor Reyes, you know, you know, has certainly, you know, done a great job and it's gone on for, you know, he's got like three, four months under his belt where he's been, you know, hitting for pretty high average and, starting to show more power and he's definitely got a full-time job for me out there next year because I know they're not going to go sign, you know, someone, someone Uh fantastic. So he's going to be out there. Uh, But yeah, it's still, you know, it's still kind of a question mark as to whether or not he's, you know, going to be a good regular everyday outfielder or if he's still more of like the fourth outfielder type. Either way, you know, great rule five pick to to get him. Um, Yeah. Definitely not the guy I was going to take. And so (laughs) kudos to Alavila on that one. But uh, well, I don't say that too often. (laughs) On that note, they, they had some comments today from um, Alan Trammell about Riley green. Oh yeah. Um, And I guess the, like, so, so many people, including a bunch of our staff were very hyped for Riley green. Um, And I I would like to kind of see him now, which I think is maybe a bit premature. Yeah. Um, 
I am kind of crazy. <laughs> I'm balanced though. I'm like one of the people that knows it's ridiculous, but also wouldn't say no. Right. Um, right. <laughs> um, Tram was pretty clear about Riley's progress for the moment where he's like, yeah, you know, he's good. He's got the stuff, but you know, he's not there yet. So let's just leave it at that. I thought it was a very polite way for him to say, calm down. The mm-hmm. raw, the raw goods are there, but they still need to be formed into diamonds. <laughs> yeah. We don't need to just like necessarily just force all these guys up. Yeah. There was a lot of calls for Torkelson too. And I mean, it's, these guys haven't faced pro pitching much at all. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's just too big of a, it's too big of a jump to, to ask them to make. So, I mean, I kind of would have felt the same way. I mean, it, I, the way I looked at it was like, well, if they call Riley Green up, he must just be absolutely wrecking shop down there. And in which case, all right, you know, whatever, I guess, give it a try. I, w- I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't start a service time clock right now, but you know, no, you, I, you never know. It's not worth it. Yeah, but I think um, yeah. I mean, I, I I think we were able to gentle down most of the people who were getting getting a little yeah. too enthused about that. And, yeah, I was like, uh. it's like no, he'll bring us to the postseason. It's fine. Yeah, and then there was and, the... um, you know who might have helped take us to the postseason if we still had one Mr. Jacoby Jones. Yeah, and one Mr. C.J. Crone. Yeah, yeah, I know. And we almost lost Jonathan Scope the other day. Um, these brewers, mm. these brewers are nope. just hitting hitting too many of our hitters in the hands, man. When, when we got to get through this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 15 more games, you guys. We got this. Yeah, I know. We're just, just trying to get to the, you know, get so, to the end of the season and, you know, we'll think about it then. I haven't actually looked at the stats of this, but I'm curious to know if, if you've noticed this or kind of observed the same thing. Does it feel to you like the number of injuries compressed into this much shorter season feel much higher? than our normal number of injuries in the same number of games in a regular season. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell. I mean, around, around the league, I'd say, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't just mean Tiger. Okay. Yeah. General. Like it. And a part of that's probably like a lack of ability to have everybody up and ready at the same amount of time as you'd have with spring training. And there's logical reasons behind it, but it does feel very substantially higher. Yeah. I agree. The the number of across baseball yeah i mean the attrition has been pretty high and then you also have guys and they're you know and they're also trying to protect guys you know they're trying in some cases not to you know necessarily push starters or or relievers too hard but uh, but even with that care being taken yet it does seem like they're they're kind of dropping like flies and i guess and the other thing too is it it's starting to seem like it's getting worse (laughs) you know like a lot of guys, you know, missed the start of the season and then came back. But now that we're kind of getting into where, yeah, guys have, have been at it for six weeks, it, it starts to feel like I can't tell if if pitchers are starting to break down and, and be less effective or if it's just that maybe maybe it's just the hitters, you know, finally getting up to speed because it's, you know, obviously pitchers don't have to react to anything. It's easier for them to, you know, to, to be sort of at their best early, um, even if they're not stretched out and, and, and yeah. as strong as they'd like to be, whereas the hitters have to have to get that timing down. But yeah, it does feel like there's been um, a pretty, pretty good amount of injuries this year for sure. Yeah. On which note, I just saw my most favorite new injury since Blake, uh, since Blake Snell last year um, hurt himself carrying a piece of marble in the oh no bathroom. <laughs> um, my favorite one right now is Zach Wheeler apparently has to miss games until Monday because he caught his middle fingernail while putting on pants. Oh, what? Wow. He, it was putting on pants and managed to hurt his fingernail so badly oh, that he, he cannot pitch until Monday. 
Wow. Wow. That's, a, that's really impressive. We need to make, like, a compendium of these. Like, there's so many, you could make a book about it. Yeah, just dumb, dumbest injuries of all time. Yeah, there, there probably yeah. could be. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, we've, we've, uh, we've seen Zamaya and some other ones here. That's for sure. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch that on Twitter right now. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you know my. Uh, speaking of injuries, my cousin um, cut his like half of the last tip of his of his index finger off, like with a trailer hitch, um, kind of Ugh. locking into place or something. Uh, he did that a couple days ago. That was uh, that was fairly gruesome looking. So yeah, you know, there's a lot of people uh, a lot of people on the old IL there. Um, like a boss though, he was uh, he was getting his stuff set up to take the whole family up to the Upper Peninsula, and he went anyway, straight from the oh. emergency room. Mich- Michigan to the core, I love it. Yeah, hardcore Michigan. Shout out to you, Dave Staffula. <laughs> God so, bless. Yeah, yeah hopefully, uh, hopefully it's not too mangled. But yeah, I was uh, I was like, oh man, they can't reattach that. That's, uh, that's just pummeled. So, yeah. So yeah, pitch that on Twitter. Um, I'm sure probably there would be some uh, some people who are pretty interested. <laughs> and I guess the last uh, the last two guys to discuss, and, and this is a little bit um, this has been a little bit frustrating, I'm sure for some people, especially in the light of um, the Kansas City Royals nearly getting a no hitter out of Brady Singer tonight, which is that Tark Scoobel and Casey Mize have have both looked not very ready for prime time um, so far. You know, we've seen seen flashes from Scoobel. Um, he put together at least one really really dominant start. Um, and we've seen how good the fastball is, but his command has still been, been a little iffy. Um, and the, the secondary pitches haven't really been there except for the changeup, a couple, a couple of outings, the changeup has been pretty darn good. And he's still tinkering with that. Um, I guess Matt Boyd showed him a new, um, he didn't change his grip, but he changed where, um, on the seams he was holding the ball before his last outing and that worked, but then, you know, today it didn't work. <laughs> so Still tinkering with a few things there, but he's another one who, you know, I, I don't think got to camp until the second week of, of August. So yeah. he's way behind the curve. So the, the real frustrating one probably is Casey Mize to people because, you know, he's had plenty of time. He was in camp the whole time and he really has not looked very good. Um, and, you know, th- that's a drag. I mean, you, you want to tell everyone to be patient because, you know, a lot of guys, even the best, you know, pitchers ever come up and they don't have it figured out, but, um, but it hasn't looked very imp- impressive in some of his outings. I have to say, um, have you gotten to see him in, in the last um, one twice. or two? Yeah. I've watched two of his games. He starts out pretty well. Like I, 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 he, I watched his game on Saturday and he had, I think two or three, two, two, at least like one, two, three innings in a row. And like, he's still finding the zone and I'm not like, I'm not ready to like panic about him yet. Um, I think he's still figuring himself out. I think a better catcher would be a huge help to him. Um, I, I think that we're looking at a guy who has excelled at every level he's been at. Like we're talking about, you know, yeah. pitching at what was it? Almost a, like a, a no hitter, his first single A or double A outing. Yep. Um, you know, he's, he's, I don't want to say he's had it easy because he's worked his, ass off to get where he is and he's been committed to what he does since he was like a single digit age um yeah but it's been easy for him up till now like it, it in a sense that he's mm-hmm. just it, he's been so far above the level of everything he's worked at to this point and you put a guy like that into the the big boy tank yeah and suddenly these are guys that have been playing for years and these are guys that have been playing against pitchers like Chris Sale like Justin Verlander mm-hmm, yeah you know they're not impressed like the Cy- 
yeah, they're, they're like, yeah, okay, cute kid. You were in college a year ago. Um, and I was in an all-star game. Um, <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to show you how the adults play. And I think that's what we're seeing is that it's shaking him a little bit. I don't think he's showing it outly outwardly, but he's, he's been thrown into the deep end and I think he just needs to, to learn how to swim. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he, um, you know, he probably is trying to be too fine with certain pitches and not challenging people enough um, because he's been hit, you know, harder, yeah, than, than he's really ever used to being, you know, having been hit before. Um, and that, that comes as, as a surprise. And he's also not, he's just not like the archetypal, like, we're calling up this super power pitcher who can just lean on his fastball. He's just, he's not that guy. He doesn't have the fastball to just go out there, you know, like Tark Scooble can throw yeah. 65% fastballs and... Some of the time he's going to give up some home runs, probably, and then other times he's just going to absolutely dust people, and it's going to look like you know this this kid's totally legit and is going to be a you know future all star. Whereas, yeah, Casey kind of has to have everything going um, right. He sort of has to have all all four pitches because that's what he does. He he's dependent on his command and and mixing all that stuff and changing eye lines on people, and he just hasn't really had his best stuff. I don't think I like I've seen his splitter look better than it's looked for the most part here. Um, his cutter definitely looked better back in the spring. Um, it was like 90, 91, 92 even, um, and almost more of like a riding, like Kenley Jansen looking cutter. Um, whereas what we've seen has been more back to sort of just like the, the sort of prototypical, like hard slider, almost looking cutter. So I don't know. He's, he's playing with that stuff. We haven't really seen the, the knuckle curve all that much, which was a pitch, um, that, you, you know, it was, it's kind of like it functions as a slider. And I think he called it a slider at, fir- at first, but I do believe it's uh-huh. a knuckle, knuckle curve grip that he uses on that, but we haven't really seen him have good, um, command of that. And that's, I think that pitch is the other one that he kind of needs because when his fastball is getting hit, he doesn't really have anything else that he's super comfortable throwing in the zone other than the cutter. And it would be nice to have, yeah, the, the breaking ball because you just, the splitter is such a deadly weapon below the zone, but it also can quickly turn into a complete meatball if, if guys, you know, aren't worried about your fastball and you throw throw splitters in in the zone for strikes. Like, it's one thing if you're just dotting the bottom of the zone, but yeah, I mean, you hang, hang the splitter up there and it's going to get murdered. So, yeah, I think I agree. He's just got to figure some of these things out. And we've seen, you know, plenty of aptitude for, for making strong changes and, and being willing to like totally revamp a pitch, even when it's been working well for him because he knew it had to get better at this level. Um, he's been committed to, to making all the, the right decisions along those lines and, and not just kind of resting on what he's got. So I, I would, um, I would slow everyone's roll on being too concerned about it. Um, he's just not, you know, he's just not a dominant power pitcher type and someone like him who has to mix it up a little bit more and use his full repertoire might just take longer to sort of get used to the hitters, um, know what they're looking at, know how they see what's coming out of his hand um, and start making all those adjustments. So, yeah, definitely uh, people don't don't get too worked up about Casey Mize until we've seen him, you know, throw, you know, 15 starts next year and he's had some chance mm-hmm. to adapt and, you know, and. Yeah, sort of, sort of tailor himself to the major league game a little bit more because I, I think he will. Um, and I'm not the biggest of Casey Mize guys, and he wasn't really like my choice for them to draft. And I still am, am more partial to Tarek Skubal and Matt Manning, so I'm not coming at anyone out there with the the voice of the the Casey Mize true believer. Um, but even so, <laughs> you do, I don't think you need to. You know, people don't need to be that worried. It would have been great if he'd come oh. up and just been dominant and and helped us to the postseason. It would have been a cool story, but. Yeah, we all know this isn't always how it goes. 
I think the other thing we have to realize is that if, for most of us looking at this season as a regular season back in spring training, none of us really thought Mize would be anything but a September call-up. Yeah. And really all he's getting right now is more of an opportunity to see major league level hitting and preparing himself for next season. And all he was ever going to get, if if it had been a full season, would have been maybe four weeks. So really, this is better. Like, yeah, the results aren't, I think, what people wanted. I think they wanted him to, like, bust out and be, you know, a rookie of the year caliber player within his first three starts. Um, We all did. (laughs) Yeah. Who doesn't want that? Yeah, you want, been who fun. doesn't want your young phenom to be the first person to win, you know, rookie of the year two years in a row? But it, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I don't think that he's done anything to warrant people really worrying. Like he, he's literally just doing exactly what he would have done otherwise on a little bit of a longer scale. Yeah. And without, you know, yeah, four months of pitching in AAA to, to be ready yeah. for it. So. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, it it goes to show you even more then that he like he he hasn't had the same opportunity to get himself prepared for this. Um, and I, I think given all of that, he's doing fine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's he's, he's still <laughs> he's still having one two three innings against major league talent. He's he's doing okay. <laughs> like yeah. we can yeah. take a deep breath. Yeah, I don't don't think anyone needs to freak out. And yeah, I mean, it's everyone should you know just consistently remind themselves you're not seeing these guys in the optimum or even close to the optimum player development scenario like they're you know especially Scooble and Mize and you know Parades are all coming straight from double a they you know there's not a huge difference at triple a but it does give you like more exposure to more experienced hitters and you know building up all those reps and then making the jump when you're all warmed up and, and doing well against that level is it's just a different thing than, than what's going on this year. And I'm sure that's got to be um, affecting some performances, but I agree. Like it's kind of good to throw, I think it's good to throw Casey Mize in the fire like this and, and probably Scooble mm-hmm. too. And definitely Paredes because, you know, I know people are, you know, probably a little freaked out because Paredes looked really good like the first week and he's been terrible since. But the thing about him is he had not changed um, since we got him. Like he was, the most patient, disciplined hitter, you know, or, or at least one of two in the Midwest League when we got him when he was 19. And he was the same way um, with, you know, in the Florida State League with Lakeland. He was the same way in A. He wasn't hitting the ball any harder. He wasn't flashing more power or anything, but he was just such a polished, um, like, selector of pitches, basically, that, you know, he, he could just keep producing like that. And he wasn't wasn't being challenged. And he, was, and he you know, to some degree... This is just speculation, but he didn't look like he was challenging himself. Like he wasn't changing his approach that much. The yeah. Tigers were trying to get him to go to right field last year more, um, probably trying to keep him, you know, more on plane the way, you know, and, and they're, they're probably having him look a lot at, you know, Miguel Cabrera because he is sort of a handsy hitter um, who hasn't really found, you know, the power stroke for himself yet and seems like he has the physique and the bat speed to be able to, you know, to be at least an average power guy. But he does hit a lot of um, weak balls in the air. Um, and trying to go to right field will help him keep his, you know, his right palm sort of under the bat and not rolling over uh, on pitches, which we saw quite a bit from him um, at the double A level. But he just has such a good approach. And so, yeah, throwing him into the fire and, and you know, and, and maybe getting his butt kicked um, is probably really good for him because he is a confident mm-hmm. player. You know, he's always been more advanced than everyone and more mature um, than everyone else around him, I'm sure. And, 
yeah, this, this can only be for the best, I think for him too. So I'm not sweating it. Um, it's just, as you say, it would, it would be, it would just be nice. <laughs> it would be nice to have the, you know, them come up and be great. And you'd be all like, Wee-hee. um, we got it. And then we'd all go into the off season talking smack to the Yankees people on Twitter <laughs> and stuff. We're coming for you. And uh, uh, another rookie of the year pitcher. Oh yeah. yeah. How's your pitching staff doing over there? Yankees, you know, you spend another mm-hmm. 300 million on somebody. How's that working out? So yeah, it's um, it's a process, um, and we're just gonna kind of have to have to stick with it. Uh, Willie Castro's been been exciting and, and good, and that probably won't last. But but that has been kind of a flash of like, oh, Willie Castro's got more power um, than he was generally projected to have in the minor leagues. I don't know if he's gonna hit enough. I don't know if he can play shortstop. Um, but you know, when you see a tool develop like that, that's um, that's still like a good thing. You can like move move that tool up to a you know the raw power tool up to a fifty or a fifty five now. And um and adjust you know expectations accordingly <laughs> going into next year because I I assume we're going to see a lot of these guys next year and it will be interesting um, to talk um, this off season about how to go about augmenting this because I still I haven't looked through the entire free agent class recently but every time I've gone to look at like yeah who should we go get I've been I've come away like yeah this isn't the year <laughs> this isn't really like the no. um, the really shiny piece out there that that I think would really put us over the top I mean there's there's some decent outfielders who might be available, Jack Peterson, uh, maybe Starling Marte opts out um, of his deal and becomes a free agent. There's a couple guys like that, but yeah, I mean, it kind of looks like you, you might just end up bringing back a pretty similar mix um, of free agents that, that we did this year and then hope that the, the kids are taking that next step. And then, you know, and maybe late next year where we are seeing Riley Green or Spencer Torkelson yeah. come up and, um, and chipping in, but yeah, we're still a ways away. Um, and, you know, there's nothing nothing really to do this year, but just kind of enjoy the rest of the ride. Hopefully the Tigers will hang around here and make it interesting um, for another week or so and um, put up a good fight. And if they make it, hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be stoked. I mean, that you know, I don't really know how you. Yeah, com- I mean, I won't complain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be like a weird accomplishment because I think we all know that if we played 160, you know, if we were going to go and play like another 100 games after this, the Tigers would probably you know, wind up with a record, you know, of like 65 wins or something like that. That's, that's probably about where that, where they really are, but, um, but it's a short season and yeah. anybody can get hot, you know, for a week or two. So here's hoping it'd be fun, which they've proven they've done it already. So, yep. They have done it a couple of times. You already. Know, yep. It, it could absolutely happen. And then, you know what? Baseball's weird. And it is. <laughs> the way the postseason is shaped this year is extra weird. And, and, Anybody can do anything over a three-game series. Yeah. I mean, we've, yeah, we just bring everybody that. to bear, right? You just, like, you could pitch Boyd, Scooble, and, you know, Mize, and whoever all in the same game if you want to, you know, and just haul yeah. out all your best guys and don't mess around. Yeah. That would be so, fun. I'd like to see that. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, hold my expectations let's, well in check. Let's <laughs> hope for the best, but be prepared for reality. Yep. That sounds good. That's uh, the way we should probably <laughs> deal with everything in life. Cause man, there's been a lot to deal with this year. Well, oh my God. Learning some life lessons. Um, yeah. if, before we go, do you want to tell everybody about your, the sticker shop? Just because I want you to tell everyone about the, the, oh, the 2020 everybody. sticker, because I'm excited about it. <laughs> um, I opened a sticker shop on Etsy called chaotic wildflower. Um, and I am doing a bunch of baseball themed stickers slowly over time. So there are some baseball ones on there. Um, but the, the sticker that Brandon bought 10 of the flagship um, sticker is yeah. the 
is yeah, the, the one that launched a thousand ships uh, <laughs> is the please scream inside your heart sticker um, based of course I don't know if anybody's heard this story but in Japan several months ago they reopened one of their amusement parks and because of COVID, they were asking riders on one of their roller coasters not to scream, but if they were excited, to please scream inside your heart. <laughs> and, and never in my life have I heard a phrase that more embodies 2020 than the phrase, please scream inside your heart. Yeah. Um, so I had to make it a sticker. And that one is on there with a bunch of others. And I'm adding more. I'm literally just queued up to print some Soot Sprite stickers from um, from the Miyazaki films. Oh, so yeah. Oh, that's cool. Are, yeah, yeah, from uh, Spirited Away and from uh, Totoro. They make their appearances. I love them. They're my favorite. I want to get a Soot Sprite tattoo. I think they're the cutest. They are pretty uh, awesome. I, I always had uh, I always had little Kodama, the, the little guys from Princess Mononoke, the little forest spirits. I always had a couple yeah, of figurines are... around. Yep. Had one yeah. of those guys in my, my kitchen. Fa- I, I've been slowly watching some of them, and uh, the sheer delight that is Ponyo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was just too much for my poor heart. Like it was so cute. Um, it just made my day. So the yep. one thing I love about this movie, like this is a totally off topic banter now, but um, the one thing I really love about those movies is how well they portray kids. Yeah. Like they just nail the mannerisms and the, the everything about the way kids are is so true and so beautifully represented in the those movies like if i watch them and i texted my best friend and i'm like um so this movie is about your children like (laughs) it's was about obviously an older sister and a younger sister and they remind me so much of my nieces um it's unbelievable like they're the exact same so yeah Yeah. and the uh, sort of dream logic that gets into some of them you know is still like it 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 shouldn't necessarily just be you know like childlike but it does but it does like feel very much like the way you know, children react confronted with like, you know, adult problems on the one hand and then like fantastical yeah. insanity on the other, you know, like with the same sort of like, huh, well, I guess this is what I have to adapt to now. <laughs> you know, yeah, kinda, that can do spirit that a, that a kid like, can get to. Yep, it's amazing. Yeah, that, all that stuff is great. You know, Ponyo was a weird one because I think when I, I went and saw that in the theater with a girlfriend and it was the first one I'd seen in of of theirs in a theater and I'd only seen Princess Mononoke and maybe maybe Howl's Moving Castle at that Another point. Another one. Yeah, and then I saw everything after that, but but I was not expecting Ponyo. And, like, the whole first act, we were like, what in the hell is going on here? And then we just, like, <laughs> yeah, it just, you know, it just, like, sucks you well, in and got, the got thing completely about Ponyo, obsessed with it. The, the thing about Ponyo is that it doesn't give you any context for anything. It's just you're suddenly in an underwater like laboratory with a (laughs) madman and there's like tiny fish girls and it doesn't explain a darn thing about itself and it's just so charming and delightful i it it like hurts my heart yep it is magic it is magic yeah the please scream inside your heart sticker also has like a nice like um 70s like rock station sticker vibe which I appreciate. <laughs> and then we also, we don't have to go into this because, yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll talk for hours and hours about this. But, yeah, the, like the Dune trailer, I, I am uh, I am now cautiously oh, excited. Oh, you would. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm, I'm getting there. Like, I'm going to go see anything Dune, you know, no matter what. And I, I like the David Lynch version, even despite all of its, you know, ridiculous flaws. 
uh, but it has a lot of cool imagery and um, they, they handled some things really well. But yeah, this looks like kind of what we always wanted where, you know, I mean, obviously you've got the, the money and the technology now to do it on the, the scale it needs to be done at without it looking kind of, um, you know, cheap and weird. <laughs> so And the um, spread, doesn't he get to do it over two movies now? Yeah, there's two movies. Um, it's, yeah. it, the cast is pretty good. Um, a couple of the choices seemed a little off to me at first, but now that I've seen the trailer, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, actually... Um, Jason Momoa's Duncan Idaho should be pretty fun. Um, can't be worse than the, the dude who played it in the um, the original movie because he was just incredibly bland. Um, and uh, in, have, the, and in a... the books, it's not really well defined you know, what he looks like. So you've never read Dune. I, I've never read Dune. Yeah, well that's cool. Now you got now you got Dune to read over the next month. Get yeah, on I it. guess so. <laughs> I mean, it's not too long. The first one anyway isn't long. No, nah, you can read the first one. Yeah, you you could roll right through it in a weekend. And it's yeah, it's awesome. Um, you know, it, it has like it's, you know, it's moments like anything of like having to get used to um, you know, the naming and terms and stuff like that, but uh, but yeah, but it's not really that that big of a deal. He does a really nice I, job of getting a lot of that out of the way early. I mean, I grew up reading high fantasy. I think I can. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, yeah, not for you specifically. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I can figure it out. Yeah, you'll be fine. Um, so yeah, we have those things to look forward to. There are uh, there is still excitement and good in the world. I don't know if we'll be able to go see Dune in the theater, but um, and I probably won't you know be able to are? see it unless so, I do. So That's the thing. Like, I mean, here anyway, um, they are kind of opening things up like i haven't gone i want to go see tenant oh you um, crazy land of science and rationality <laughs> i mean we still have <laughs> the cases are on the rise and it's not great but yeah. um it's um tempting to go to theaters like i really want to see tenants in theaters and it's out and i think they're holding a theaters to like 30 percent capacity i think everyone gets their own own like and the theater i go to is like one of those ones with like big leather lounger recliner chairs and you've already got yeah. tons of space and i think they're they're setting it up so that people have like two seats yeah. and then spaces in between um so i'm so tempted yeah and I, would I, go probably, I would go probably for either one of those because yeah i mean they've already sort of adapted to this over the years just because there you know there just aren't that many moviegoers anymore so they've been you know they charge more for tickets and everybody has more space and a big cushy seat now um, so they've kind of like, they were sort of pre-prepped a little bit for this. I think I could probably, I could probably try it for, for Dune. <laughs> you could do it. Yeah, I, I would probably. You do... could Dune it. Sorry. I, 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 probably take I the already chance. apologize. Nope, no worries. So yeah, anyway, um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if we can uh, make that, make that happen. But, um, but I think we'll leave you all for, for now. Um, we'll see how things go over these final two weeks and um, check back in maybe next week. And um see how the Tigers handled the White Sox and whether or not they got thrashed out of this thing. And in which case we'll start talking about the off season <laughs> or maybe <laughs> miraculously they will win this series and we'll be, uh, we'll be coming back to you early next week. Like, huh, it's not over yet. Interesting. So yeah, it's been a wild one for sure. It's, exciting and i just bought dune so we'll um yeah we'll, we'll discuss that on a future podcast as well oh right on yeah we might have to do a dune podcast i don't know maybe <laughs> special special <laughs> bless you boys dune edition <laughs> yeah pardon our non sequitur <laughs> but we'll just put this in one entire we could podcast. do a bless you boys book club brand <laughs> oh yeah there we go yep our readers should also read dune alongside us yep exactly well, brandon's just... probably read it a couple times based on the, his usernames and his <laughs> yeah, yeah i've read it yeah i kind of read that one yeah yearly i've read that a lot of times yeah, oh it's like me and pride and prejudice yeah yeah it is yeah it's one of those books for me for sure yeah 
So comfort read. Yeah. So maybe I will go back and read that again myself. But um, for yeah. now, we will bid you all adieu. Um, we'll see how things go against the White Sox. Um, just for the White Sox's own sake, hopefully we can beat up these guys because this team is getting scary. Um, and just we're no going to be dealing with them for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're young and exciting, and they got Nick Madrigal, and I wanted him. Uh, so Yeah, <sighs> they're going to be a problem. All yep. right. Thanks for joining right. us, everybody. Ashley, have a good night. You too. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.